Namaste everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Bharat Vartha Weekly. I have my friends Ashish and Srivatsa here to discuss the week's uh, news and events and uh, we have plenty to discuss so let's get right to it. Uh, but before that we put out a couple of uh, very interesting episodes last week on the Bharat Vartha. We had a future of work episode uh, where we interviewed a couple of senior leaders from HR and recruitment Sudarshan and Gaurav. uh plenty of interesting insights and then we also had a deep dive election analysis of uh, bihar 2020 uh ashish and whatsa you know the drill what were your favorite uh, moments from last week uh, i'll go first uh, with the election thing i think uh you know uh, the part where rohit broke up broke down the regions uh, across bihar and what factors influence each region i I don't think I have seen that level of detailed analysis for Bihar. I have seen it for UP. I have seen it for Maharashtra, even Karnataka. But this is the first time I saw someone do it for Bihar. So to me, that was pretty unique and uh, and very very insightful. Ashish. So carrying for the Bihar episode, um, I'm just wondering that there was a lot of consensus on the outcome of the results. and mm. this leads me to the 2015 memories where uh, the consensus extended not just to people generally uh, you know the observers on twitter etc but also with the pollsters right and then uh, if you remember uh, pollsters had to make excuses like that they transposed the excel sheet wrongly when doing copy paste <laughs> which means the nda vote got transposed into uh, up and vice versa so it was kind of funny uh, kind of excuses people had to come up but for saying that uh, you know nda was going to sweep the election so uh, i'm i'm just hoping that um, for a change this prediction because it was a consensus prediction i hope it it, it comes true simply for the authenticity part of it um, right uh, future of work was quite interesting because uh, uh, it's a topic that we all hear about there's a lot of jargon also which uh, which goes uh, in, in the name of what's coming etc uh, down the down the line but i think it's a serious issue uh, i hope it uh, lets people uh, introspect a little bit personally in in their own lives right yeah i am personally excited about the new thumbnails that we put out i mean they look pretty swanky so uh, moving on we have uh, the first bit of news uh, for this week that we want to discuss is there a revival on the horizon for jet airways uh last week a group of lenders approved a bid for the revival uh, which has been grounded since april 2018 for the lack of funds uh jet airways that is the bid was uh, submitted by a consortium of uh, uk based calrock uh, capital and uae based businessman murari lal jalan uh, the lenders need to get approval from the national company law tribunal they're looking to invest about 1000 crores into the airline Jet Airways also has to fight an uphill battle by getting hold of prime slots at airports and operating domestically for the first year. Uh, Ashish, your comments on this? Yeah, uh, let me just rewind this a little bit. Um, uh, how this has come through, right? So, the Insolvency and the Bankruptcy Code 2016 uh, has been instrumental in resolving this issue uh, for Jet. uh this code um, has been i think one of the biggest changes in the corporate world uh, in in the last let's say few years where uh, i i don't think it is perfect there are several things which need to be plugged and uh, not the least the availability of nclt tribunals which are very few right now uh, so the whole commercial courts mechanism needs to really uh, spruce up but uh, i think the uh, the fact that a uh, iconic brand can be revived from bankruptcy 
firstly i mean the fact that the lenders can take a iconic promoter to uh, to to the stage and then then bring it back from from death i think that is a very important and an interesting aspect of how the uh, ibc itself has functioned i think to that uh, we should certainly i mean the corporate india should certainly be thankful to arun jetli who who really spearheaded that uh, change uh, the uh, if you look at the jetways uh, stock it's it's been up i think 110% in the last 20 yeah. sessions uh, the the uh, the investors expect uh, the airline to come back uh, on its feet soon and uh, Uh, the uh, of course the all their landing slots as well as aircrafts themselves have been leased or sold off or auctioned off or given to other players etc so uh, it's not going to be very easy it's like starting a new airline but what works for them is the iconic brand uh, can they keep it together can they get the same crew uh, same staff back uh, which will uh, you know kind of re- recreate the service experience etc uh, that remains to be seen also we don't really know who the promoters are uh, i mean calrock has got some experience in logistics etc but murarilal jalan is essentially an old economy promoter whose interests lie in paper mills and real estate and so on uh, there isn't very concrete information of what exactly is are uh, uh, rs businesses as such uh, and so not very sure um, if it's like one of those vanity buys where someone want because have, owning an airline has been a brand of uh, personal vanity in india for for many years now starting uh, right back when the whole sector liberalized in 90 early uh, in mid 90s so uh, in that sense uh, the success is not guaranteed but of course they will have the power of the brand and i had a great personal association i was a platinum member on jets for like 6 7 years last 6 7 years until the airline went away you took so, away my joke i would as long as i show the status i'll i'll be happy <laughs> posh ashish chandorkar posh she took away my joke but uh... Yeah, no, it's such a difficult business to run. I don't know any why anyone is in this business. Uh, but anyway, good for us. I mean, we get to travel, right? So, uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, there is this Carrie, whole thing. Uh, before we uh, move on, I think sure. uh, there's just a. I think uh, while Ashish talked about the NCLT, the magnitude of the exercise, uh, you mm-hmm. know, just uh, just getting to a stage where we have bidders, we have you know a resolution that is approved. has been uh, has been tremendous in the sense that uh, you know for instance there were about 6 lakh uh, ticket holders who had paid money to jet mm-hmm. and had put in claims so you know it took them about 3 to 4 months for instance just to go through those details so the bigger challenge that i think uh, you know the the resolution entity faced uh, was uh, in terms of uh, so most people had actually left uh, jet airways before the airlines collapse so the senior guys had left the company uh, you know they they didn't have any source from where they could get information and it has been and that's probably the reason why it has taken so long because you had you know lakhs and lakhs of creditors customers uh, employees and so on uh, and you also had you know few people who said they would bid and did not bid in that sense uh, i think uh, the whole covid situation probably helped them uh, because you know anyway all the airlines were grounded in india for a good 3 to 4 months and in that time uh, they made their last attempt to try to get someone on board because uh, almost every airline is in some way starting you know from quite behind where they were before the pandemic mm. hit us so yeah. uh, 
overall uh, one more airline uh, full service airline uh, you know more competition it's it's always good for customers as well and it's good for the industry as well in the sense that uh, you know uh, we have a we have a clear mechanism in place as ashish mentioned where a company can go to bankruptcy and then come back uh, also get their due so overall uh, i it's a positive whether it actually happens or not in the history of uh, indian aviation industry i don't think any airline has come back after suspending operations but there is yeah. always a first time so to that extent i think uh, jet uh, jet airways uh, could you know probably be the first one to come back elephants can dance no huh? so yeah a uh, very interesting point uh, what's up okay moving on uh, so jio and qualcom are uh, you know looking to pioneer an indian 5g solution uh, uh, so it will be a 5g radio access network that uh, achieves about 1 uh, 1 gbps through throughput Uh, the technology has already been tested by a T1 carrier in the US it will be ready for deployment by 2021 uh, qualcomm jio and reliance subsidiary radisys uh, corporation are working together to establish 5g architecture in india notably qualcomm has a 0.15% stake in uh, jio platforms worth about 730 crores what's up this is an interesting development right i mean jio is looking to go full stack essentially yes uh, you know while while the headline is that they are looking to go full stack uh, we should wait i think i think it's going to take uh, a year or two to build the whole manufacturing capability so if you're looking at telecom it's a combination of hardware and software right and one thing that is happening in telecom as it has happened with a lot of uh, other industries is that uh, there is more movement towards you know software and virtualization in the entire stack uh in that sense uh it makes it a bit easier for newer entrants uh it's it's not very easy but it makes it bit easier in the sense that they don't have to you know build manufacturing capability from scratch uh so to that extent uh, what jio has been doing is uh they have been buying companies globally and uh, acquiring some of these capabilities uh and also some of it will probably be manufactured outside india to begin with uh but what will happen is that uh because uh, of the you know high cost of uh, equipment proprietary equipment and also the uh, threat with uh, you know the fact that some of the biggest players in this space Uh, whether it's zte or uh, huawei they are from china uh so to that extent it's it's uh, there is a movement globally uh, towards uh, getting more indigenous technology getting more open technology in place for telecom networks of the future uh so this is this is definitely a step ahead uh, what i think jio is also going to do is they are going to manufacture handset and they have a tie up with google you know to power the operating system uh, for those new handsets so overall uh, it's one thing to have the network right but you also need uh, affordable phones so that people can actually use the network there is you know more uh, sort of consumption of on the network and people spend more uh, on their telecom uh, sort of needs right uh, 
so to that extent jio is also looking you know at the handset side they've and they have done this in the past you know with 4g they've already built handsets and they've uh, one of the slogans of mukesh ambani was 2g muk bharat right so he talked about moving people away from 2g and moving them to 4g uh, so to that extent it seems like a like a logical uh, sort of movement uh, in in their roadmap yeah right carry uh what we also need to look at is the how the telecom network evolution has happened right so see te- europe kind of led the battle for 2g when when they evolved the gsm standard um the 3g battle was won by japan and south korean operators and and their uh, various telecom players and then of course us came back very strongly when the 4g deployments happened so uh, in the continuation uh, china was leading 5g in a big way uh, i mean china itself has got about half a million uh, uh you know uh 5g uh installations in in the in the country and uh, they were uh, going to spend upwards of 200 billion on 5g rollouts uh in 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 the country itself and because uh, Huawei and ZTE were the main uh, equipment providers or or uh, network providers the it was almost like a fait accompli that uh, uh, these players had to be chosen but if you really look back in the last few weeks i mean uk decided to give a long rope of exit for Huawei by saying that uh, their components cannot exist in the U- uk systems but after 2027 uh, which is fine i mean they they can still do business and by the time the networks the standards may anyway change we may move to another g right i don't know 6g perhaps uh, and uh, but but more recently uh, sweden and belgium uh, belgium awarded the 5g contracts to nokia Uh, Sweden also ousted uh, Huawei from the uh, bidding process, etc. So uh, I think this momentum is now building up. Uh, if you rem- remember, in one of our podcasts, uh, Ajit Pai, who's the uh, US FCC chairman, uh, he had actually talked about this. That India, this was right after when India had banned the Chinese apps, right? And he had mentioned that while the other countries were dithering at the network layer, India had actually gone ahead and banned something at an application layer. So we had gone mm-hmm. like a uh, like a step further, right? So. uh that snippet is also there on our youtube channel that that specific part and and the whole episode is also quite fascinating so the fact is that the world over the the crisis the covid crisis and then of course the india china border situation gave the opening to india but the covid crisis um has given that opportunity for countries to rethink their uh, approach and and not really get bound by uh, the waves at the contracts because uh th- these these things are non non reversible like like once you get into the application side of it you cannot come back right so uh, you you have to either kill the adoption you you cannot manage the adoption or you cannot manage the process of what what happens once the networks are rolled out you can only decide before uh, doing something so in that sense uh, it's it's a very significant development the fact that some of the european carriers are also coming back uh, in in favor uh, in europe itself to start off and then perhaps also in other parts of the world but the fact that uh, geo uh, i mean knowing geo they what they will do is they will create something uh, uh, at a at a huge scale at a low cost right so some of the countries where china could potentially have potentially have had an upper hand like in africa for example uh, that could become an export market for us in the next 4 5 years so fairly interesting development and let's hope it uh, evolves well for uh, geo and for india yeah but you know what the most important question is right what is the reliance stock going to become a multi multi bagger or not so we'll skip that one for now yeah yeah so anyway uh, moving on uh, from this fantastic development we had more good news right uh, so the upi transactions hit a billion mark uh, by the mid of october and we're possibly looking at a 2 billion uh, 
sort of a transaction number in uh, October, right? I mean, just to hazard a guess. So according to the data from RBI, uh, between 1st and 15th October, we crossed the 1 billion uh, uh, transaction mark, right? And uh, since then, I mean, we've been hitting uh, new highs. Uh, we've been hitting new highs uh, all through the year, in fact, uh, post the pandemic. Uh, some of uh, 1.92 lakh crore has already been transacted. Experts predict that the transaction uh, count could reach 2 billion by the end of this month, uh, which is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal development, actually, right? Uh, considering how much of uh, progress we made on the payments front. Uh, what's are your comments on this? Right. Uh, so, uh, okay. When it comes to, uh, you know, payment infrastructure, I think uh, India has... Uh, has been ahead of most countries, including some of the developed uh, countries who probably were suffering because of, you know, their legacy infrastructure and so on, uh, to even get a payment out on the same day uh, in some of the developed countries. And, you know, for instance, NEFT has been around for more than 15 years. I, I, I've been using it for longer than that and payments happen in the same day, which was a huge deal uh, till probably, you know, SEPA, kind of operationalized in Europe, faster payments in UK and so on. Uh, so in that, to that extent, the payment infrastructure in India has, has always been uh, quite, quite good. Uh, now, when it comes to UPI, what UPI did was it made things very simple for people to use uh, in mm -hmm. the sense that uh, it, it just functions like an email ID. So it's almost like sending an email to someone. I just enter someone's uh, address or just scan a barcode. Uh, and, you know, NPCI has built in checks whether, you know, the barcode belongs to a, like a registered vendor on NPCI. So, and they give you alerts and so on. So the, the, there are multiple aspects, right? So from a personal security point, whether it's encryption, uh, two-factor authentication, UPI has had it. Ease of using it, UPI has had it. Uh, in terms of being able to prevent fraud to a, to whatever extent it's possible on the network side, I think they've done it. What they did with UPI 2.0, which was launched in August 2018, was you know the ability to send uh, invoices to someone who is uh, making a UPI payment. So that was uh, one thing that was missing in terms of using it more on a B2B kind of scenario where you know when some when you're making a payment, you should be able to add information on what the payment is for and so forth. I don't know, get an invoice for it. Uh, the other thing they added was linking it to overdraft uh, accounts, right? So overall, UPI uh, has been improving since uh, since its launch in 2016. Uh, at a time when wallets were very prevalent, from that time we we are in a situation where wallets have definitely lost their sheen quite a bit, uh, and UPI has become the preferred mode of payment. Uh, one thing that has also obviously helped is, you know, third party apps like Google pay and phone pay and so on. Uh, they made, you know, the user experience much better and made it easier for users to make payments. Uh, yeah. So plus there was this pandemic and there was, you know, some study done, which showed that uh, currency notes trans, you know, are sources to transmit bacteria and, you know, other sort of microorganisms. So to that extent, it helped in the sense that people don't want to deal with cash uh, because they could you know, get infected with COVID and so on. So 
from that point of view uh, also upi has benefited with the with the pandemic coming in so overall uh, i think making it more easier uh, in a b2b scenario or uh, i think they could do some other things probably going ahead in the future uh, i can't think of something right now but i think there are still improvements possible to especially on the security side which will uh, which will uh, make make upi the preferred most preferred payment uh, sort of mechanism by far in india yeah it's uh, it's amazing you know i mean not just uh, from a consumer perspective even from a business perspective as well because earlier i mean you know you really had to see you know when to raise invoice and plan for when the credit will come so on and so forth for small businesses i mean this makes it so much more easier uh, and in fact yesterday i mean i was out buying something like two or three items and before the person could add all of those and you know tell me the sum amount i was able to you know pay individual amounts by then right by you uh, via upi so it's simply phenomenal how quick the payment has become so all right uh, let's move on from this uh, to more good news uh, so iidk has developed a new covid-19 test called covirap uh, the test has been validated by icmr and the current tests require a high end lab equi- equipment or have a low degree of accuracy the covirap can be completed within an hour the test unit is also low cost portable and can be operated by unskilled operators a single unit can test a large number of samples ashish this is a fantastic development uh, in our fight against covid yes uh, i think vatsa researched this so maybe vatsa you want to talk about this uh, sure sure so uh, you know uh, as you mentioned carry there are two uh, you know incumbent sort of tests for covid one is called the rapid antigen test which uh, by by some measures uh, ha- has about 50% sort of false positive rates and very high false negative rates uh, you don't know what the false negative rate is obviously because you know the person is infected and you don't know uh, whether you know he was infected before the test was taken or after right uh, the other one which is more reliable is rt pcr uh, which requires a, a lab so which requires fairly exp- expensive equipment and uh, and what that means is that uh, results also get delayed if you are doing you know a large number of tests uh, so this is the second test to come out of india the earlier one uh, was feluda i you must give some credit to you know people who come up with these names so quite innovative covirap uh, and feluda uh, so uh, both tests are uh, you know they are similar in the sense that they are low cost but feluda still requires the uh, rt pcr machine uh, but the thing with covirap is uh, one it takes very less time so you get the result within an hour uh, the equipment is very generic so you can use it for you know tb and other kinds of tests as well it doesn't need a lot of uh, technical expertise so you don't need a trained lab technician and so on uh, and the other uh, you know it can be it's quite scalable so the same unit can be used used for a large number of tests so overall uh, and it's been tested and approved by icmr so it's it's a good thing i mean it's good that we are we are you know looking at innovative ways considering you know the scale and the population in india to try to come up with new ways uh, quicker ways to test covid because as we know earlier detection earlier cure means less uh, risk of spread 
Yeah, fantastic. I mean, we've really wrapped up our testing capabilities, right, over the last uh, few months. And uh, that's that's certainly helped us a great deal. So the next piece of uh, news that we have is the fact that DRDO has released a new manual for Atmanirbhar Bharat. Uh, it's a new procurement manual with the goal to incentivize Indian players to participate in the market. Uh, the manual details changes such as higher advance payments, simplification of internal processes, a new bidding system and leasing options for uh, contractors. The last revamp was conducted in 2006 with some changes in 2016. The changed manual follows steps taken by the DRDO in August to develop and strengthen the local defense ecosystem and reduce reliance on China. Ashish, we've been speaking now for multiple episodes and there have been multiple developments as well on the Atmanirbhar Bharat uh, front, right? I mean, uh, one thing that is very positive is how there's been proactive regulation to back up our mission of Atmanirbhar Bharat. I mean, we, we, you know, we saw the whole EV, um, EV developments, we saw the ban on import, uh, uh, ban on import of ACs, so on and so forth. Uh, this is again DRDO being very procurement, very proactive in a very key industry as well, right? Defense. Yes. Uh, so, see, uh, firstly, the 2016 changes were also reasonably significant in, in, when when uh, then Defense Minister Manohar Parikar released them. The idea even then was to simplify procedures, etc. But I, I guess uh, it was too early from a political capital perspective in the government tenure then, and I think it, it did hit some ro roadblocks within within the let's say the administrative versus military uh, bureaucracy. Uh, this time, uh, the, the the procurement manual to, uh, 2020 uh, does actually uh, specifically look at things which are friendly for MSMEs. So uh, in terms of, let's say, uh, the thresholds at which you have to pay advance monies or the conditions in which the L2 bidder can then uh, start supplying if L1 backs out. Um, if something is being procured via uh, auctions, then there's no specific uh, uh, negotiation process to be done etc so these are some pretty interesting steps for the msmes to step up and uh, uh, given where we are i mean if you if you follow the news like in the last let's say 30 days india has tested um, more, conducted more than three to four dozen tests of various type of weapon systems and 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 various stages of our uh, weaponry i mean which, which india is developing some of them in the final stages some of them uh, initial tests so clearly there is a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of hustle right now in, in the, in the defense research, uh, uh, de departments to basically look at the near term situation and also be prepared for the future. Uh, and in that sense, uh, getting our own, uh, military industrial complex. I mean, Indians have always viewed the term military industrial complex in a negative way, because we always thought about that in a, in a Pakistan sense, but I think we should the American, uh, uh, military industrial complex where the fact is that. The, the whole lot of domestic research and development happened because it was being procured by procured at a big scale by the U.S. Uh, armed forces, and I think that same same thing needs to be replicated to uh, replicated in India so that both the large companies as well as MSMEs can make a market and not just local market but also export market. Yeah, yeah, not just from a security perspective, even from an innovation perspective as well, right? I mean, it's it's uh, fantastic to have these technologies within India. Uh, all right. So that was all of the news and events from last week that, uh, you know, was important enough for us to discuss. Uh, we hope you enjoyed them. Uh, we have a very exciting live stream coming up in the next half an hour. Uh, oh, so I'm sorry, I think in the next one hour, 7.30, if I'm not mistaken. Or is that 7 o'clock? 7 o'clock. 7, 7. Right. 
so we have uh, uh, author Uday Kulkarni, Kulkarni who will be discussing his new book, uh, The Extraordinary Epoch of uh, Nana Sahib Peshwa, along with uh, Amit uh, Paranjpe. Amit, you've uh, heard on many different uh, Bharatwarta podcasts before. So this is going to be certainly exciting. What's our, any key things that you're looking forward to in this? I would just like to understand, you know, the amount of research that is needed to, you know, yeah. write a book like this. I it's it's pretty big. I saw I haven't read it, but uh, I've seen the number of pages and so on, and it's extraordinarily detailed with yeah. maps and whatnot. I would love to hear, you know, how he went about, you know, that entire process of research, and yeah. uh, you know, on on writing this book. Yeah, absolutely. Ashish, what about you? I have had the privilege and uh, pleasure of meeting Dr. Kulkarni multiple times in Pune. This is his fifth book. Uh, he writes extremely meticulously. Uh, he's he's really passionate about not getting anything wrong. And uh, I have also seen some of his work, some of his working style, etc. Uh, it is just mind-boggling. I mean, he has himself visited sites of wars around the country. He has been to UK for to to for museums to research. I mean, the amount of effort, time, money, energy he has put in is, is just mind-boggling. And uh, this oh, no. book is like 500 pages, 2 lakh words. Uh, and 2 lakh words is a lot. I mean, you know, you can write a book in uh, literally one-fourth of that size also. So, uh, uh, and this also includes maps, diagrams, and all of that. So, really mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, and the way he has revived the interest in Maratha history, uh, and also the fact that uh, the the not so popular stories of 18th century where uh, the, the basic factors that British took India from the Marathas and not from the Mughals, which we don't learn in history for, for different political reasons. Uh, he really has changed the narrative single-handedly. So a person, right. an individual who is not a trained historian, who was actually a, 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 sur- a surgeon in Navy, uh, he comes back, uh, you know, rekindles his, his interest and he doesn't even have a publisher. He publishes this himself. Uh, and and still he has been able to change a national narrative and national talk around some of these topics. So it is, I mean, his contribution is just immense. Also shows the power of social media, how, you know, like if you're really devoted to a cause and an expert on something, how you can really create a brand for yourself. So hats off and looking forward to the talk. Fantastic. Yeah. A word about our host as well, Amit. Amit has a very deep interest in uh, Maratha history as well. I mean, uh, you would have heard him uh, uh, give a few references, for instance, on the Ganesh Otsav, uh, uh, podcast that we put out. So he's kind of the perfect person to sort of host uh, 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 Dr. Kulkarni as well. So this is at seven o'clock. Uh, you know, the links have been posted on our social media. It's also live on YouTube uh, and Twitter. Please uh, do check it out and hope you will join us for this. Uh, that's about it from us at Bharatvarta. This was the weekly. Uh, we, we're really glad that you chose to skip the news and watch the weekly. We'll be back with more updates uh, shortly. Until then, stay safe. Take care. Bye.